Welcome to Philosophy Rekindled with our focus book, the 1920 published version of Tertium Organum by P.D. Spensky. Today we're discussing Chapter 3, and you will find the audio version of this chapter as an additional audio to this podcast. You'll also find additional information on our website, philosophyrekindled.com. Today my panel members are Peter Lancet and Sue Flanagan, and I'm Alice Flanagan. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Hello there. <laughs> so we're up to Chapter 3, and that's a very short chapter, but it's, it's got a lot of punch. I think, I think it's uh, setting the scene, and, and a lot of the points that are made uh, are really in single sentences that you could, you could miss very easily, I think, uh, and I, I'd like to tease those out today. Um, and so I guess the first point that he talks about, he brings Hinton back into the arena and Hinton talks about examples of different dimensions in our world and he talks about looking at the relation between the different dimensions, a point to a line, to a, a plane, to a solid, and taking the concepts of, of looking at those lower dimensions, thinking that perhaps then we can extrapolate into looking at our relation to a higher space. And so I'll, I'll start with his quote. I think that you've moved on too far. There's something that needs to be discussed before that on the first page of this chapter, the second start of the second paragraph. Why would you just read the first part of uh, paragraph two on page 34 and just take that as a given? Why would you not? Why would you not um, investigate that? Where Spensky says, as in the point, it is impossible to imagine the line and the laws of the line. As in the line, it is impossible to imagine the surface and the laws of a surface, etc. How does he know that? Where does he give us the proof for that? Why should we accept that? He's not been a point. He's never been a line. How does he know that from, from that standpoint that you couldn't? We know, I will take it as a given, that we can't readily conceive the fourth dimension from the third dimension that we're in, but I'm not certain that he can just like pass us on to that. I know why he's doing it because he wants, he's very much more practical. Where I will challenge when he makes a statement as though it's a statement of fact, I will challenge it every time because it needs to be investigated. I'd like to know where he gets that from. But, you know, um, it, it, we, don't have, we don't have to spend a long time on this because otherwise we get, we get caught in a loop. It is impossible for us to know whether or not it's possible to conceive a line from the aspect of a point. But, it, you know, when, when, it's, when it's put down here as a statement of fact, then I will always challenge it if, if we can't see where that fact came from. I know where it will have come from with Ospensky because I know the, I know the work he did with consciousness and altered states um, work that he'd done. And that comes much, much later in this book. And I know, I know who he was. So, but here he's put it down as though we're all supposed to take it. What is, what is your thought on this? What is, what is your take here? My take is that it's possible. It's a conceivable possibility that from the point of view of a single dimensional um, I'm going to use the word object, but I, I do accept that they're not necessarily objective, um, and I'll come to that in a second. 
that it's quite possible for consciousness in the first dimension to conceive of things that we can't in the third. We are very much having the third dimension seems to be very strange and very limited. It allows us to conceive of other dimensions without being able to actually put them into our, our consciousness readily. Um, but we don't know that about other dimensions. We can't, we can't know unless we go there. So that's all I'm making the point of that we might we might be the odd case out here where stuck in the third dimension we do find it difficult and we do for a reason so that we can have a third dimensional experience but we don't know what the experience would be in the first second fourth dimensions or so on out, out into infinity that's all I'm just I'm just challenging that we we have to take it so this is the paragraph that starts, as in the point, it is impossible to imagine the line. Is that the one that's you're talking the one. about? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah so, so that's very interesting because I've noticed too, This I'm reading from the version of the book that was published in 1920, and I noticed that a, a book, a, a version published in 1922 has flipped that around. They start with that as the first paragraph and go to this Hinton oh, quote. Oh, okay. Afterwards, so that's why I started with the hint and quote, and that's interesting. That I'm a sorry, then, Alice, because I didn't. Yeah, yeah, but the, it's interesting that a later version of the book has taken that out and switched it around. So he has started with that point and making that point very boldly. I think okay. from my when I read that paragraph, I thought he was saying uh, it's that that concept that you can't see, like the fish can't see the water, that concept. You, you know, if you're in something, you can't see it until you're above it. That's what I'm thinking he's saying. But um, Well, hang you know. on, because can, can't you challenge that? How, if you were in water, you know, you'd see it. You, you'd, be, you'd be aware of it. If I was in water, yes, I'm thinking more along of that was a, maybe a, a not a good example. It's I actually more don't, about, you, I don't even know. Well, why do we need to use a fish? We walk around in the air. We walk around in an atmosphere that we, we're not aware of. We don't see it. You don't even have to go to these concepts like the ether. We walk around in the air, which is invisible to us. We don't even notice it. We're breathing it in. We're actually interacting with it constantly, but we don't notice it because it is our given. It's, our, it's, it's where we are. We don't, we don't have to use a fish as an analogy. We can just use ourselves. Well, we can. Um, I guess I'm a bit punchy. I'm a bit punchy this morning, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, you just you just go for it, Pete. We love that. We love that about you. No, you do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you do actually. You're making making me think. But what, I guess my point was uh, what I think he's saying is that when you're in in something, you can't see it unless you can you can get above it. So. If you are, yeah, uh, you, and he uses this a little bit later in the chapter. Sorry, I'll, I'll just finish and then I'll let you go. Yeah, um, yeah. Where he says, if you're standing on top of a mountain, you can see a lot more than you can when you're down on the ground. So it's uh, it's about having yeah. the the perspective of where you where you are in relation to other things. Go, Pete. Go. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that I don't I don't I don't see that that's what he's saying at all because he's specifically saying that from a point you can't see the line. Yeah. Uh, that's something different. You just said from our perspective, we're not looking at it from our perspective. From our perspective, we can never be inside a point. He's talking here about a point and a line and a plane as described mathematically. Now, a point described mathematically has location but no dimension. I, I, I don't know if every, I'm sure everybody's aware of that, right? A point mm. is not like a yeah. dot on a piece of paper. 
in, mathem in mathematical terms, there is no dimension to the point. There is no starting point. We can't go in there. It, it literally is just an abstract concept, the idea of a point. The same with a line. The line is infinitely small. It has no dimension. Well, funny you should bring up this concept of infinity again because I think yeah, because that's where we're coming. This chapter has a lot of um, a lot of, of, of very difficult concepts in it, and uh, some of which seem to contradict. So at one stage, you know, I, I, I was chatting earlier on else. He talks about infinity. If we consider the line as an infinite number of points, the surface of an infinite number of lines, the solid as an infinite number of surfaces. Um, in analogy with this, it's possible to consider it's necessary to regard a four-dimensional body as an infinite number of three-dimensional ones. But then um, he goes on and says, he talks about, moreover, we know that the line is limited by points. Now, infinity and limitation don't Seem to don't, to go, don't go together. I, I've actually underlined that myself, so yeah. So are we taking them too literally? Are we missing something? No, I think I, I, I think he's right. He's trying to get somewhere. He's got a whole book right, to get yes. to. He's, he's, a, he's leading us down a path where we take some things for granted so that we can move on to the next concept of a problem. Remember, we've got a chapter here of what well, in my version it's only about four pages yeah it's only about These, four pages but that's, that's true and it's and it's covering concepts that would actually take up the entire career of um a mathematician <laughs> just those four pages could you know could actually take up the, so, so he has to he has to he has to actually gently lead us down certain pathways by by getting us to accept these things. I know why he's doing it. I, and I'm, I'm not trying to challenge him and saying that he's an idiot or anything far from it uh, or anything like that. But I just think that we we should get into the habit of always questioning these these, these statements so that we can move on with, with some knowledge that, that we haven't got the full picture necessarily. I, look, I'm, I, I agree. I, what I'd like to do is very quickly just go through the points that he is making so then we can come back and address yeah, all sure. of them because he does I, I, he does I didn't want to stay here. No, no. So let me have a look. at What he starts with, well, in, in the version that we're looking at, the 1920 version, um, he starts with, well, forget, forget the fact that he starts with Hinton, what he's, he's using Hinton to back him up. Look, you know, we can look at, yeah, you know, lots of dimensions and their relation and come up with a theory. So he's, he, I think what, what um, uh, Spensky likes to do is bring other people in and go, look, they said it, so therefore I'm drawing <laughs> on that, you know. And so, you know, he kind of he kind of uses people to back him up. So that's what he does with Hinton to start with. But as he says, he goes to that point we just talked about uh, and then, he's, then he starts building his case. He says, here's what we know. A line is a tracing of the movement of a point in a direction not contained in it. So he's saying I like that, that one. That, that, yep, so that's a line. There's a lot of points and outside of the point you are making a line. Surface is the tracing of the movement of a line in a direction not contained in it. And a solid is the tracing of the movement of a surface in a direction not contained in it. So he's sort of building that up and then he goes, okay, so if that's the case, is a fourth-dimensional body the tracing of the movement of a three-dimensional one in a direction not contained in it? Mm -hmm. So that's 
That's the first step he, he goes into, and we'll come back to all of this. I just want to build the, the picture. Then he goes, um, if we consider a line as an infinite number of points and the surface as an infinite number of lines and the solid as an infinite number of surfaces, does a four-dimensional body contain an infinite number of three-dimensional bodies? So that's the next analogy he draws. And then he says, moreover, if we know that the line is limited by points and the surface is limited by lines, this is what we talked about a minute ago, and that the surface is limited, uh, solid is limited by surface surfaces, is it possible that a four-dimensional body is limited by three-dimensional bodies? So it's, it's, I'm kind of thinking the Russian doll, you know, you keep, you know, one inside the other and the other. Um, is what he's sort of getting at, and he is Russian. Um, and I'm Russian through this. <laughs> so, and then he goes... Um, that, that was very nearly a joke. <laughs> yeah, nearly a joke. Okay, all right. It may be edited out. Um, <laughs> um, so then he goes to say, is it possible to say that the line is a distance between two points and the surface a distance between two lines and the solid a distance between two surfaces? And if that's the case... I, I, I prefer possible, that. Yeah. Is it possible that a four-dimensional space is a distance between a group of solids separating these solids yet at the same time binding them into some inconceivable to us whole, even though they seem separate? To one another because he says the lines bind several separate points in a certain hole. So you've got point, 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 and that's a line and we're, we're combining points in, into a, a hole even though the, those points are separate in the line. I think that's what he's saying. I'm going to – that's enough for me. Let's go. Pete, that, what do you think? I'm sorry, I'm sorry to be the one jumping in all the time, but this – Please we, do, we please have, do. We do, this is worthy of discussion based – we're staying on, on point here. That was very nearly a joke as well. Um, look, the idea, the idea of, of wondering whether or not a line is the distance between two points or whether it contains an infinite number of points, this is a very old philosophical metaphysical problem, and it goes back to um, something that the atomists, these this group of – Philosophers, they're Greek philosophers on the Ionian coast. They vastly predate um, Plato and Aristotle, so on, and Socrates. But they were looking at this, and people like um, Zeno, and, and who was one of the better known philosophers from this era, they they talked about ideas of not being able to uh, prove. They they were trying to prove that existence is one field of continuous energy, that we live in a continuum, that everything is connected, that we shouldn't look at things as separate parts. And they they have they come up with this well the problem the easiest way of looking at a problem like this is if you were to cut if you had a, a string representing your line and you were to cut it in half, you could cut each half in half and in half and in half and in half. At what point can you stop cutting something in half? If it exists, it can be halved. This takes us to a problem of infinity because then we're saying that infinity is contained within a discrete object in itself. We have a piece of string which within it contains infinity. How can this be? Well, also the other interesting point about what you're saying there is you have a line and when you cut it in half, you've still got a line. And you cut it in half, you've still got a line. So what is a line? Yeah, but you've, no, you actually, you've got two lines. You've got When you cut one in half, you've got two lines. So and and you see them as being separate from each other. 
So where does infinity come in? Here's another, here's another one. You know, like the, the idea of the every journey belongs with, uh, you know, starts with the first step. Okay. Yes. Well, <laughs> well, okay. I'm trying to get from A to B. Let's, let's say, you know, I'm, I'm, this is a, that was a Chairman Mao uh, quote from, um, gosh, was it Lao Tzu or Confucius? I think it might have been Confucius. Anyway, Mao used it for the long march. Mao's trying to do the long march. And so he thinks it's going to start with the first step. But, you know, um, there's going to be an, an infinite number of steps that it's going to take you to get there. Because let's say that the journey would take a thousand steps. By the time you've done 500 steps, you've gone halfway there. When you're halfway there, you're going to start again. There's always going to be a halfway point between you and the end of the journey, which means that you will never get to your destination. And yet we know from our experience that we do get to our destinations. Philosophers have answered this question, in my mind, never completely to 100% satisfaction. So infinity is not something that we're supposed to bring into our concept of, of existence, um, but, but, we have, but we have to consider it. And that's, yeah, I think that's, that's the thing. Sue, what do you think about that? I'm, I think that we have this medium that we live in called our, our third dimension. And because we don't have a complete concept of it and, and the ones below, because there's always something seems to be above and say another dimension above, that it gets ratty around the edges. And it gets, you know, and this is what infinity is. It's the, uh, it's the unexplained. It's the unexplainable. And it's because it's incomplete. I think, I think, you know, if, it, as you said before, else with the Russian dolls, we have a first dimension inside a second dimension. It's inside a third dimension. It's inside a fourth dimension. I don't know where the number stops, but it's, it's a, um, it's like it's a process, I believe, of immersion. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I think was really interesting, and I'm going a little bit ahead in this chapter, when he talks about the atom, um, and he says it is possible to regard an atom of a physical body not as something material, but as an intersection of a four-dimensional line by the plane of our consciousness. I think the word that's important here is the plane of our consciousness. And I think that we are we are artificially just... You know, we're not artificially, but we are dumbing down, as Pete said earlier on, for the experience in our third dimension. Um, and, and, but I, I don't fully understand that, that whole sentence. But, and I don't know exactly what he means by plane of consciousness, rather than saying the fourth dimensional line by our consciousness. Uh, Maspensky is not someone who doesn't put a word in without a meaning. Yeah, I agree. And this plane of consciousness thing, I felt that he explained it when he talks about the the tree. If we were a two-dimensional plane cut through the top of a tree, from the two-dimensional point of view, we would have no um, idea of the branches below. We'd have to have we'd have to be a plane that cut through where the branches actually were to understand the branch. And then that other the, the other example, which I really like, which is the the five fingerprints on a tabletop, from those five fingerprints, you couldn't deduce the entire human being that had made the five fingerprints. Yes, you just see three, five circles on that, and yeah. on the branch, you just see five 
or whatever, how many branches you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't even be, yeah, you wouldn't even be aware of the branches. You wouldn't even be aware of them because you're on a flat plane that's cut through the top of the tree. You're only aware of what's in your two dimensional plane. And you wouldn't even realize that they were connected somewhere yeah, else. Because you're in a, yeah, because on a, pla a plane is a two dimensional experience. So two dimensional consciousness, he is saying, would not be aware of any other plane. So you're, you're, you're aware only of the plane that you are. And he's saying then that we in the third dimension are only aware of the plane that we are. When we're talking about uh, this, this idea of, I love this idea of the point of consciousness, uh, uh, you know, our, our, uh, being the plane, when you talked about the atom, bear in mind that we can have a direction um, an infinite number of directions away from any point, literally an infinite number of directions away from any point. So you're looking at a four di fourth dimension experience there. But the, what for me in that came out really interestingly was the idea that, remember, if we take the fact that there are an infinite number of points in a line, that means that there are an infinite number of points in any plane, infinite number of points in any solid, we have to look at the infinite number of directions on every one of those infinite points within any given solid. Difficult to conceive, but there you're having an idea of a fourth dimension, because that means that the if I, if I use it into if I try to describe it in terms of space, the way that we understand space, what I'm saying is that the any given solid can expand infinitely in every direction, not from its surfaces, not just from its surfaces, but from the points within it. Mm. Does that make any sense yeah. to anybody? Because it, it that, barely makes sense to me, but it, it's, it's something that came into my mind when I was reading it. And I think, yeah, I think you're exactly right. And, and if I can just digress back to Chapter 2 when he talked about our geometry being three dimensions being defined as three separate right-angled directions, yeah. length, breadth, and height, and that's three dimensions. But then, as you're saying, it, that's, an, that's an arbitrary decision. It's not, it's, not, yeah. it's, it's not necessarily true or not true. It's just an arbitrary decision. Infinitely, you, you've got every direction from those points. As you're saying, it's, it, it blows your mind. <laughs> but I it's love very that. tantalizing. I, I, feel, I feel that when I consider that, that every solid object, let's use a cube because it's easiest. Within the cube is an inf are an infinite number of points because we, we'd have to start with a point that creates a line, a line then creates um, a plane, and then a plane ex expands uh, again parallel to, its own, to itself to create the, the solid. Um, by the way, solid doesn't mean solid. It's, it's a geometric concept, which we know. But that solid contains an infinite number of points. I'm, I'm tantalized here because I feel like I'm almost glimpsing an idea of a fourth dimension, but I can't quite articulate it. I feel like there's something in that, an infinite number of directions from an infinite number of points contained within any given solid. It's, it's almost like a big explosion, isn't it? It's like yeah, a big explosion. Yeah. And and all we see in the explosion is the shape or the, yeah. the solid or the plane or the whatever, but but it's and, and it's continually exploding. Like continue the points are continually going in lots of different directions. Well, yeah. well that's the other thing. That's the thing, you know, we start if we start with a point that becomes a line, 
if it extends in, in space. If it extends even further, must it be creating even more points? As it, it, it's in fact, it's involved in, a, a, in this, this infinite creation, which is what anybody that's, uh, that's worked in the occult and stuff would say is exactly what's happening. Creation never stops. It's ongoing. I heard um, somebody described, I think it's in one of Dion Fortune's books, but she said that somebody described God as pressure. It never stops. It's like a continual exhalation of breath, constant creation all the time. And this would back that up. Mm. Do you think so? Well, I'm going to go slightly from a different different angle here, uh, not by any means disagreeing, but I, when I read that same that, that that one paragraph again, it talks about the atom not as something material, but as something the intersection of four-dimensional line by the plane of our consciousness. The question is, I'm asking, is is Aspensky saying that it is our consciousness that is creating the atom, creating the material, I think so. and therefore I think creating so. the experience, and it, which which is really interesting because here he is in the 18, 1920s long before we've done our experiments where people are with quantum physics where they say people anticipate an atom coming in and then it appears in line with the anticipation which again um and that it's that the the thought of the atom is, is precedes the atom itself so this then puts another concept in is that because we are looking at the beginning of, the, of this chapter we are looking from the line the point upwards but I think here he's looking from consciousness downwards and an immersion through, and I wonder if that's the plane that he's talking about of our consciousness because I think consciousness is sitting uh, as a complete in wherever it, 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 it is and, um, and as we filter it in and out of, and so perhaps we do go, I mean, I wonder, do we go and have, it at, at, at time is the issue in the next chapter, but, are we going to have, are we at the same time in any given expression of consciousness experiencing the one dimension, the two dimensions, the three, the four, all at the one time, but each one of those only has a limited experience and is bringing in its own experience into each dimension? That makes it a cumulative experience. I don't know if that's what he's saying. I don't, don't know if that's a thought or not. But uh, he, to me, he is saying, when he says it talks about intersection by the plane of our consciousness, he's, he's saying, what are we aware of? And the atom is not something material. It's an expression of consciousness. And see, he's also building, he's building a scaffold for us too. He's giving, he's, he's taking us by the hand and leading us through his reasoning. So, we we are already kind of on the journey of extrapolating, which is I think where Espensky wants us to to expand our thinking to what if, what if, what if, um, and so yeah, it could could be that we are we are the Russian doll. And I liked your concept last time, Pete, about the theme park. Maybe when you just enter into the theme park, that's the experience you're having, um, even though you even though there's other theme parks and there's other things outside. You're, you're immersed in it. You're having that experience. Um, I'd go even further. I'd say that you create your own rides, that the theme park itself is only a scaffold for you to actually create your own experience once you're there. 
that would fit in with that what he what he's just saying here. Yeah, that's what that well that's what I mean. And the interesting thing is, you know, we talk about atoms and he mentions the word atom. And he's in the early days of um quantum the the abstraction of quantum uh, mechanics. However, he comes from a background. I mean, he's a theosophist partly. I mean, he certainly studied it and he knew it and he comes from other occult backgrounds. He was certainly um well aware of Gurdjieff as well, who'd done these extensive travels. And what, what, what I'm saying is that he was a he was a traveller in other realms of experience, shall we say, further realms of experience. And he had this experience. And he understood that people for as long as we know, tens of thousands of years, have actually known what what science and, um, well, certainly mathematical science and physics is really struggling hard to communicate in a form that we understand, whereas people have actually experienced it. Um, it, it literally is the way that things happen. You know, you couldn't even get dressed in the morning if you weren't creating, by means of your thought, that experience. Thoughts become very, very real. And Espensky uh, definitely knew this. And it, it comes much later on in this book um, where you know that he couldn't even have written this without um, occult experience. Those of you that have had it would know. Um, it's very, very interesting to me that, that he starts off right here um, talking about, as you said, Sue, something that um, mathematics took a long time to even consider. And even then, they looked at their findings and thought, are we going mad? You know, the idea of uncertainty, for example. Everybody thought, well, that's what the, that's what the formulas are leading us to, but that, surely that's nuts, that's crazy. But we're going to have to accept it because that's what the work is taking us to. It's, it's really strange. The very beginning of the whole book, he starts and says, what we take as our names, consciousness and the world. And, um, you know, and here I'm just wondering if he's not saying, and he puts them in that order, consciousness and the world. And, um, and I think that there is a, a potential, he's saying here, that uh, is possible to regard an atom um, as an intersection. So I wonder if he's just starting off by saying, starting the, starting the concept of consciousness creates the world. One is the other, leads to the other. I think that's the, the scaffold he's building. Now, I, I'm sort of having read the whole book but staying here in Chapter 3 where he's talking about let's have a look at geometry and say, you know, let's, let's give some analogies of lines and planes and, and et cetera, et cetera. But he, just before that, para, that sentence he talks about the atom, he says, if every three-dimensional body is a section of a four-dimensional one, then every point of a three-dimensional body is a section of a four-dimensional line. So it's, it's kind of that explosion of everything's a section but everything goes on infinitely and then he goes, it is possible to regard an atom of a physical body not as something material but as an intersection of a four-dimensional line by the plane of our consciousness. So he's, he's kind of building this something that we can grasp in terms of geometry, but he's, he's really saying something far beyond that, in, as, you know, both of you have, have uh, touched on, I think. He's... It's not just geometry, but he's, he's giving us a chance to catch up, I suppose, with, with what we know to build on that. I've dumbfounded you both. No. <laughs> <'Cause>... <laughs> I, 
I, I think the, the uh, I think you know you're saying, the point you're saying is you know it's something that we know, and the more he tells us something that we know, the more we realise that how much how little we don't what how much we don't yeah. know and how little we really do know, and um, again I think that's his his point. You know, we, we'll, we'll look at this and, and, and he's just trying to get us in this chapter, I believe, to look at it upside down, inside out, this way, that way, and still can then come around to the end and say, well, you know, uh, there's every possibility that there's a fourth dimension out there because it doesn't really quite fit here and it would make a logical sequence to, uh, to say that, um, that, that there's, there's something outside of where we are, where we are conscious of. He does, he does point out, um, he talks about being able to draw a, a cube, say, or a sphere uh, represented on a flat page. So, you know, you, you, can, you can draw something that looks three-dimensional on a flat page. And he says, well, you know, we know, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do the quote. He says, we know it is possible to represent a three-dimensional body on a plane, um, that it is possible to draw a cube, a polyhedron, a sphere. This will not be a real cube or a real sphere, but the projection of a cube or a sphere on the plane. We may conceive of the three-dimensional bodies of our space somewhat in nature of images in our space to us incomprehensible to four-dimensional bodies. So I wonder if he's saying there, just like we can see on a plane a three-dimensional figure, are we seeing on a three-dimensional plane a representation of four-dimensional figures that we can't we can't comprehend. Hmm. Maybe, but he's talking about us from the third dimension representing something in a second dimension. I, I rather suspect that from the fourth dimension, you could actually represent a fourth-dimensional object on a third-dimensional plane, which which wouldn't be a plane, obviously. But we're not in the but, but we're not <clears throat> we're not in the fourth dimension, so we can't actually test that. But it's an interesting concept. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? Because if we were a page, if you know, well, we're not a page, but if you know, if, if we can draw on a page something that looks three dimensional, can they? And I'm, I'm using air quotes here. Draw on our three dimensional space something four dimensional represented. Hang on, no, that's that. No, that was the point I'm making. We are not the page. I mean. We are a third-dimensional being using a, a two-dimensional plane to draw a representation of what we are. That's not, to, that, that's not the same as saying that we, from the third dimension, can create ourselves uh, you know, uh, from the fourth-dimensional perspective. You'd have to be in the fourth dimension to do the same trick in the third dimension, and we're not there. Yeah, that's what I, that's, well, that's what I'm saying. I guess what I'm saying is, has someone in the fourth dimension represented oh, the fourth right. dimension in our dimension like a, a drawing? Like a, that's what I'm, I'm trying to get the concept of that so someone we, else's drawing. We are somebody out. else's drawing. Yes, so we're, we're somebody, somebody else's, else's drawing. drawing. Well, that's, well, that's even yeah. more interesting then because when we draw a, a representation of a third-dimensional object, we draw a cube that, that has a representation on a, on a two-dimensional plane of looking third-dimensional. We know that you can do this. Um, that object is so limited in that two-dimensional form. We can't pick it up. We can't use it. We could draw a, a, we could paint a brick 
and it would look very, very real. If you get, if you're a good painter, you can make it look three dimensional, blah, blah, blah. What you can't do is take that brick and start building a house. It literally, it is, it is restricted to the features are, and the attributes of, of a plane. Um, but we, as if we've been created by something in the fourth dimension, presumably we would have similar limitations. So we're hopping around in a very limited form compared to what we really ought to be. It's a bit mind-blowing. Yeah, it is, actually. <laughs> well, I'm going to put it another way. Why do you say we are not fourth dimensional? Why is it not possible for us to be that fourth dimensional being? However, when we bring immerse our consciousness into I'm, our I'm not, I'm not saying we're not. That, I'm not that saying that we're not. Really I'm just have a limited experience. I'm just yeah. saying that we, from the from the example given, that that to move it on, we have to be outside of the plane that we're we're drawing on. So we're not two dimensional when we, or we certainly don't think we are when we're drawing a representation of a three dimensional object on a plane. We don't we don't feel that we don't see that see ourselves as that we don't we don't seem seem to have the experience of the two dimensional plane that's being drawn upon. That, that's that's my that, that's the analogy. I'm not saying that we're not fourth dimensional. And I'm not saying that we can't be um, actually doing. In fact, I would say that we are. I'd say we're fifth dimensional, actually, from where from my perspective. And we do create these experiences, thoughts and dreams um, and ideas are fourth dimensional from where I come from. And but we'll move on to that much later in this book. The but the idea that all I'm saying is from from the examples given. That, that we would have, you know, that we, we, it doesn't, it doesn't give an example of creating upwards. He only create, he only gives examples of creating down. Third dimension creating a representation of itself on a lower dimension. So we, as the third dimension, create a representation of a third dimensional object on a two dimensional plane. He never gives an example of us going the other way, is, is what I'm, is all I'm saying. Yeah, no, that, that's very true. And all of it, is is just a. I, I think what he's doing is is making us think. Ooh, he's doing that all right. It blows your <laughs> he's mind away. doing that. Because it's it's he's just he's he's kind of saying to us, well, you know about points, you know about lines, you know about surfaces, you know how they all build one upon the other, and you know that one is infinite, the others then must be infinite, infinite, the other one must be infinite, 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 but infinite is always infinite. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like which is um, another concept, yes, yes, another concept in itself. That's, I think you know, when we think about infinity. I think the, the the point I was trying to make last time when we're talking about cutting that string is if you've got an infinite number of, of points in a in a piece of string and you cut it in half, you've still got an infinite number of points in each half. So you've still got an infinite number of points. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but it's but you've cut it in half. Yeah, so you haven't. Got but then you've got double infinity. But but double infinity is in fact infinity because infinity doesn't have a limit. So you can't. Well, you still got uh, two pieces work. of string. You have still got two pieces of string. So how does that work? How does that work? It's a magic trick. <laughs> look, look, I, I, I cut it in half, and I've got the same. It, it, and yet I have two. Hang on, you've also you've also got the space between the two. Yes, which actually is also a line in itself because it's between two I points, know. the endpoints. 
Stop it, stop it. <laughs> it's I know, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm going nuts now. And that's what it just says, isn't it? We cannot explain it. There is not a logical point of this. So therefore, I, I think, you know, especially comes to the concepts that it's outside of our thinking. It's outside of, of, of where it is. And that's interesting. It's, it's fascinating. It, yeah, and he uses mathematics. He's starting, he's starting, he's a mathematician. He's starting with mathematics, but already we can see the cracks. We can already see, and he's only taken us a little bit of the journey. He's only, we, we, you know, we've got a long way to go yet. I was going to say we're uh, only 36 that, pages in, in my opinion. I know. Yeah. If you think that's blown your mind, wait, wait, there's more. <laughs> oh, I know. What I think is always, you know, is mind blowing about Spensky is that, you know, you, you read one line and you gloss over it the first time, you come back the second, you think to yourself, oh my goodness, you know, that in itself, as you said earlier on, Pete, that can be, you know, someone's entire life's work on philosophy. Yeah. In that point there. And, uh, and so, mathematics. And what I think will be very, very interesting at the end of all these discussions, also I think it'll be very interesting to come back again and revisit these holes, these concepts that just don't quite make it together and um, and look at it again from the end of the book backwards yeah, because it's it, an interesting journey we're taking. It's a wonderful journey and uh, it, it does hurt your head. It hurts my brain, I've got to tell you. It hurts my brain seriously. <laughs> Mine too. And I think uh, I'm, I'm just jumping ahead a little bit here because, I, I, you know, I've read the book and I can't remember where I've read this, but he, he, he does make a distinction between the concept of infinity and the concept of eternity, um, where infinity, he's saying, goes in, say, the direction of, like, parallel, but in eternity, each point might be might be infinite number of points on a line, but in, at right angles to that point are an infinite number of points. So it's as as Peter was saying earlier, it's like this big explosion. But he makes this distinction between, and we won't, I won't get into it now because it's still it's still kind of giving me a headache. Um, but then there's infinity, and then there's eternity, which is kind of infinite, 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 infinity. Um, but uh, yes, anyway, there you go. I've, uh, or perhaps I've, one I've, is space and one is time, and then therefore, and he says both of those sit outside of where we are. They're an interpretation of, where, of, of our, our our three dimension looking at something else. I mean, he starts here. This is this is a very um, it's it's a very small chapter, and it's only a few concepts. He's getting us ready for chapter four, which you know that's where the fun really begins, where we start talking about time and what really is time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so you know, yeah. It's. I, I think. I think he's being gentle on us, giving us a, a, a couple of pages just to 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 start us, push us into a, a a way of thinking, and then you know, pow, here's the next lot. But that's that's for next time. So with this chapter, where where have we ended up? We we. I think what he's saying is he's he's really just he's really giving us a taste of. Well, what we what we all, what we think we know about geometry, what we think we know. And how how it, we think it hangs together, and uh, and uh, you know what will he do with that now that now that we've 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 come this far? Hmm. I, I think you're right, well, Alice. Well, think, what will we? I, I think he's just uh, trying to give us a, a, a an awareness of um, potential, 
possibilities and, uh, and mathematically why these possibilities could and should exist in his viewpoint and um, that they should, you know, that they are, uh, it would be very logical from a mathematical point of view to think of a fourth dimension. Yeah, and we have been told in the introduction that he's building he's building a a, a, um, a scaffold which he will tear down because he's talking about he's using analogy and he's this is his platform at the moment. Let's use analogy. Let's let's understand something we do know and then use analogy to extrapolate that into something we don't know. That's that's his concept for the first seven chapters. Let's have a look at from the angle of extrapolation. Do we feel the need? Because I know that this is where where he's going to go. Do we feel the need to have to prove things mathematically? No, and that's his experience too, as, as we come to it. And that, so I live I live in the the constant um, hope now. This this I've got hope that he's going to take us somewhere. And I I mean it's it's wrong for me to say this because I know that he does to take us somewhere where we will start where we've at least got tools to find the answers if we want to actually avail ourselves of the tools so we know that it's, it's going to come to something that you have by experience and not something that we can at the moment we don't have the tools in the third dimension that allows allow us to express what is an experiential thing for, for people who do know people that know this they know what other dimensions are because they visited them find that no language is ever adequate to describe it so it's great that he that he does, that he gives us this introduction, because you know something with, from what he gives us in the introduction, it is more than possible to have a very rich and rewarding three-dimensional experience without without being blind to the possibility that there is something more. The and, and that in itself, if you wanted to stop there, that's fantastic. Most people don't even get to there. Most people just blindly live a life and die, wondering what the heck. Yeah, um, that that eternal question: Why are we here? And, well, well, most, most people don't even ask. <laughs> well, yeah. maybe most not. Most people don't I, even I, ask I the question. One that's well worth asking, isn't it? Though? Yeah, I think so. By asking the question, at least you can say, "Well, even if you don't know why you're here, how can I have the best fun? How can I have the best yeah. experience while <laughs> I am here?" It's like it's like getting, as you say, into the into the theme park, and you're going, "Okay, well, if I can create my own rides, what one what one will I do?" What will I have? What will I make? Um, rather than wait for someone to hand it to you and go, well, here's what we thought about lately uh, beforehand, uh, before you got here. Well, well you know, <laughs> <laughs> don't um, don't preempt it. Just just get in there. But no. I, well, I think I, and I think the thing I actually like most about this book is he, Spensky is not there trying to tell you that the experience you're having is not valid. He's not saying that at all. No. He's, no, he's, he's not. not. He's, he's 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 giving you an opportunity to ask a question, to make it as you said last time, make an inquiry. Can I ask you what do you, who do you think his audience was? What was his intended audience when he wrote a book like this? The metaphysics. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Certainly, the um, the philosophical societies. Other, yeah, in other words, all of the occultists. Hmm. And I, I think, and, and and I think also, and I think potentially mathematicians. I, I I certainly wouldn't go as far as to say that this was the book for every man. I, I don't think it was ever intended to be the case. But it was popular. 
it was very popular. But so so he must have had an audience outside. <laughs> that's on. a small group. Hang on, how, how popular do you think it was? Have you got the the sales figures? Because I'll tell you now, it wasn't. It, 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 it wasn't as popular as Agatha Christie, for example, who was writing in the 1920s as well. Um, he certainly wasn't as popular as um, Walter Scott had been or, or Dickens had been. It's, this is not populist material. And I think he was actually writing for people who were investigating the, uh, the, these extra-dimensional uh, experiences from the occult point of view, but also from the mathematicians, because after general and special relativity, we had this explosion of abstract mathematics that was actually converging upon what occult science had been doing for the longest time. And I, I think this is his audience. And I think, it's, I, and I think when you realize who the audience was, a lot of this becomes much more easy to understand. He's not trying to do this to the – remember, the man in the street was barely literate. They were not reading um, the way that people have access to reading materials now. They certainly weren't – there wasn't a Stephen Hawkins doing a brief history of time for people to make things simple. They, they, they didn't know what to make simple at that point. Uh, Pitt, I, I think uh, that when you use the word occultist, it's a, a very specific – I mean, the, the general public would look at that as being – Equivalent to a black magician, whereas I well, that's their well. Hang on, that's their problem. I remember this is my world. Uh, 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 no, 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 no. I mean, the, the occult can be anything that is what you would describe as paranormal. So the Theosophical Society comes into this. So does shamanism. So so does um, ceremonial magic. So does what people now love to describe as witchcraft, but it is older than that. Um, earth magic, nature magic, in being in context, uh, in contact, and utilizing energies that are unseen, but certainly are, are ones that we can contact and manipulate. All of this comes under that general heading of occult. And occult means secret, and it has been kept secret for a long time. We don't need to go into that. The reasons why now, um, but there are two two reasons, and not always the ones that. Um, modern Christ, uh, anti-Christian occultists would have you believe. There are, there are reasons for keeping it secret before that um, because they want to keep the magic to themselves, certain people. But that's another, another story. But this, this, I, I, I don't feel the need to, to qualify occult. I think most people know what they mean. And if, if somebody thinks that, that means black magician, great. I have no issue with that. They could, I could spend my entire life defining def, different types of um, – paranormal activity and paranormal experimentation and activity, and I'm not prepared to do it. I'm using one term to cover all. And Uspensky wouldn't have worried about it. Blavatsky didn't worry about it. None of these people cared about that. They used the term all the time, and it wasn't loose. It's, it's, yeah, it's one of those words that I think over time has become whatever people want it to be. Well, you know, as you say, yeah, it I, is I, what it is, and, uh, and, and these people who wrote these books – why are these books still around a hundred years later if they haven't got value? That's that's they the have question massive I ask, value. You know? they, they still have massive value. Yeah, absolutely. This, this, is, one of the, this is one of the greatest books uh, of of its of its type. I, I you know, I, I'm hard pressed to find anything that's that's a better explanation. Yeah, I think so, and I and I haven't read, yeah, you know, I haven't read a lot of stuff, but having looking at the, he does a lot of quoting in here. 
And when I read the quotes, I go, okay, what are they saying? Then he goes, well, what they're saying is blah, blah, blah. And he explains it so well. It makes it, he makes something simple. I think he's brilliant at it. Honestly, I. So I think, I think even though the audience, as you say, may be that group of people, it doesn't mean that the audience couldn't be broader because I think he, he does make things explainable. Like to me, um, when I read it, 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 it seems so simple the way he's, he's explained something and it's concepts that, that blow, uh, blow my mind. I, I, I've been sitting in the bus reading and go, oh my God, out loud. <laughs> People look at me because it's just, you know, that, that, but, but I haven't got a lot of training in other things. I don't understand a lot of things. So he's still making it easy for me to understand is what I'm saying. It's, mm-hmm. it, the audience can be broader if, if people pick the book up and read it or listen to the way I've read it on the audios. Well, they have to pick it up. And first of all, they have to have heard of him. So that means that you're in um, a very small population that, that would have heard of him. This, this isn't like Stephen King where he, you know, it's universally known. This, that's my point. You, we, because we know it, we shouldn't make the assumption that oh, oh, the whole world would know it. And if only they no, did, they don't. Up and read it. They, they don't. They, you have to be in a very specific world. And that world tends to be his audience, his intended audience. Yeah. Because nobody else off the surface would be interested. We need a TV series. We need, we, we need, a, we need a TV a documentary series exploring this and then it would come into the wider consciousness and maybe people yeah well i'm hoping this podcast does something towards that let's say yeah perhaps that's that's having these discussions and 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 reading it through so that it's a sort of an audio i'm i'm hoping that it does broaden it because Me i think too. this book is is really worth having a go of, of, at understanding having a go at it you know i have to read it over and over and over at times I'm probably the problem in these podcasts because I challenge every damn word. I well, think you, should. you could read it a lot, uh, I, but no. But I think that you could read it a lot easier than I read it, and and still get the value. You could come to the end, and your perspectives would have changed in the way that I think was intended by the book. Um, I am my own worst enemy at this. I mean, I, I'll, I'll sit here and, and challenge every word. But I, I then do move on because I'm not going to get lost in one phrase um, forever. And you did finish the book. So so obviously I, yeah, I, I, you I, did, I did finish it, yeah. And it didn't take infinity <laughs> to do it. <laughs> so um, I'm going to wrap up. So I'm going to ask for final comments oh, on okay. the chapter. Sue, you want to say something? I was going to say, I, I think the, the, the final the, the take out of this thing is a concept that we've not really discussed, but is that rather than infinity, I think that another way of looking at the ch- the dimension above any other dimension is the um, dimen- is the dimension of all possibilities. So if you have a dot and it's now moving into a line, all the potential things that it could do exist in that line, and in the line all the potential things that it could have, experiences that it could have, exist on the surface. And then all the potential experiences of the surface exist in the other. So so when we look at our life and our consciousness, then all the potential experiences that we could have sit here in our fourth dimension. And uh, and then we, and you know, there is a, again, I can't... In our third dimension. 
<laughs> in our third dimension, but, but that all the potential experiences of the third dimension sit in the fourth. Yeah. You know, you know, yes. you know because um, I, 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 if I look at it as a, a say we were a, a plane going through a cube, a cube that had balls in it, different coloured balls in it, well, if that cube is what you're limited to as a plane, all the possible ways you could cut that and see the different cube balls in all the different sequences and different orders, they all sit there in the cube. Your plane moves into it this way or that way or up or down, an infinite number of ways to do it, but all the potential experiences for that plane, that surface, sit inside that cube, which is the next dimension up. So I believe that on the fourth dimension, perhaps all of our potential experiences uh, or all, all possible experience, possible is the word I want to use here, possible experiences for the third dimensional being sit in the fourth. And they do. And this is the beauty of it. Uh, when you look at it from the point of view that I was mentioning earlier, the, if you see the fourth dimension um, being the realm, not, not exclusively what it is, but the realm of thoughts, ideas, imagination, dreams, that is your potential because you have to have an idea before you can actually have the experience. You have to have a thought. You couldn't even get dressed in the morning if you didn't think about what you were doing. And investigate that if you don't believe me. You do not do this on autopilot. The mechanics of taking things out of the wardrobe and putting them on, well, you're making a choice. You have to imagine yourself wearing it, even if it's the most fleeting thought. You, you, we couldn't do anything if we didn't first have the thought and then put that thought into action walking down the street, but anything. Which is something he goes into later on too, the causation. Which means, uh, yeah, exactly. Mm. I mean, but this is the idea of potential. Remember, you can think anything. Mm. Mm. And, and which, yeah, yeah, which is is where this man or where manifesting comes in, you know, that's another story altogether. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, no, that's, yeah. That's, that's what you and I work on, Alice. I mean, that's yeah, the area where exactly. Exactly. So, so, but, uh, but I think Aspensky really dovetails beautifully into that those concepts as he oh, as yeah. we go through. You know, it's. Uh, I know. It's, I know. But that's a great idea. The idea that the entire potential exists in these other dimensions. You know that that they're contained within. And I love that idea because that that's how I see it anyway. And and that puts that actually puts it beautifully. The idea that the infinite potential exists in these other dimensions and if only we could um, not just access them but learn how to manipulate them then we could make our dreams come true we could have the experience of just about everything yeah or any and and but yeah and, and i think that's the thing we, we there's more there's more to it than just what we've looked at there's more to to this whole mm. model this whole it's brilliant thing. isn't it yeah it's, it's brilliant and uh I, so, really so, love it. I really do i i'm the same and and uh when i picked up this book and started reading it I, my eyes kind of went oh my god why didn't i see that before i i know all these things that he's saying in terms of when he's explaining it it's a concept that's not unfamiliar but why hadn't i put all these different dots together um it's uh, it, it's brilliantly written and it's brilliantly um, the concepts are built on 
you know, it's like, here, have you got that? Yeah, great. Now look at this. You got that right now? Look at this. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So this is Chapter 3. Yeah, Thanks, sure. guys, for, for being part of this um, podcast today. I, I love your points of view and, and you're in, even making me think even more than Aspensky has by, by throwing all these different ideas around and coming up with um, different angles to look at things. So thank you for your time today and uh, I hope to see you guys next time. See you then. Thank you very much, Alice. That's brilliant, got- Alice, and thanks for putting this together because it really, it really is important. I love doing this. Oh, me too. My pleasure. My pleasure. And thanks everyone else for listening. We look forward to your company for Chapter 4.